welcome to Grace and Peace Radio. Grace and Peace Radio is a Christian living blog and podcast dedicated to engaging conversations about applying God's Word to everyday life. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Anthony Russo, and it's my hope that you will be encouraged and God will be glorified. And with that, let's start the show. Well, hello again, everyone. It's Anthony. It's great to be with you again. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I'm I'm glad you're here. How are you? Uh, what has the Lord done in your life this past week? What has he shown you? How has he demonstrated his faithfulness? Before I jump into today's topic, I just thought I'd share a few things from my week. This week, I started out reading a commentary on the Gospel of John for my next class. I had to laugh because when I got the book, I'm not really one for reading the introduction of a book. Uh, That's something that over time my wife has gotten me to do. She likes reading the introductions. My thinking is, look, if it's so important, put it in the main part of the book. So I typically don't read the introductions. But being a good husband, I'm learning. I started reading the introduction of this book. I had to laugh because, you know, I'm reading it, and actually there was some good information in it. It's a, it's a Gospel, comment, Gospel of John commentary by D.A. Carson, who, if you don't know D.A. Carson, he's, he's a very gifted uh, academic. Anyway, very good stuff. So I'm reading the introduction. You know, I'm learning things. I'm like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty good. I, I, I'm starting to see the value of reading introductions. And I'm reading. Still, you know, this is good. And then I'm reading and reading. And I'm starting to think, like, how long is this? Because typically, even I've picked up the fact that an introduction is, you know, maybe 10 pages. And I'm reading and I'm reading. I'm like, wait, what? So I flip to the end of the introduction. 83 pages. Who writes an 83-page introduction? Wow. Uh, that made me laugh. So, yeah, I did academically skim the remaining 70-some-odd pages uh, it was good, but it was just, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty funny. So that was my, that was one funny thing that happened this week. This week also, I had the, the 21st century equivalent of car problems, computer problems. Both my computer and Amy's computer, my wife's computer, both of them started having some problems. But the Lord provided and we were able to use the uh, stimulus money we got towards some replacement gear. So that was, that was a blessing. So we're thankful for that. This morning, this was cool. I didn't expect to be talking about this, but this morning I got a a draft, a mock-up of the forthcoming booklet I'm working on. It's called Jesus Changes Everything. I have to say that the mock-up looks great. My friend Jim Holmes over at greatwriting.org, he he did a great job. I could see, you know, there's there's some editing that's going to need to be done, probably change some things around, add add some more content. But the whole thing is going to be designed as a um, uh, as a book, as a giveaway kind of a book. I've read how people are more likely to take and read something if they know that you were the author because they feel like they've made a personal connection and they're they're curious to know what you wrote about. So I plan on giving it away to people as I talk to them about Jesus. Not so much like a gospel tract, like I'll be handing out copies of the book on the corner kind of thing. Not not that. But, you know, if I have an opportunity to strike up a conversation with someone and we're talking for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, I might say, hey, by the way, 
if I really see if there's an interest there. But of course, also, I'm going to make it available for anybody to purchase if they want to give it away. Inside, it includes my testimony and some short devotional thoughts all about how Jesus changes our lives when we turn to him and are saved. So that was exciting. And I, I, don't have, I don't know when that's actually going to be finished, done. I'll let you know when it's available for order. Before I forget, if you would like a copy of today's show notes, just go to graceandpeaceradio.com forward slash 18. graceandpeaceradio.com forward slash 18. Okay, question. Here we go. Ready? Can you recall a time when you had a difference of opinion with another Christian that was so polar opposite, it got in the way of your fellowship in Christ? Think about it. Now, I'm not talking about theological errors or obvious patterns of sin, things which the the Bible addresses in black and white. I'm talking about maybe something political or some matter or matter of conscience which two believers feel themselves equally justified by Scripture in arriving at their opinion. Or let me ask it another way. What counsel from God's Word would you give to Christian friends who are disagreeing with each other, but you want them to disagree with charity and grace towards the other one? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about disagreeing in love. And again, it's that whole idea of disagreeing on on matters of conscience, not those things where the Bible is black and white about which way to go. So let me let me explain. As I record this, the world seems to be on the other side of all the projected curves of the COVID-19 coronavirus. Statistically, it wasn't nearly as bad as was first thought, thank the Lord. Now, in my state, in South Carolina, most retail stores opened up this past week, and by the time you hear this, restaurants will be allowed to serve patrons inside, albeit with plenty of caveats. Almost everything is coming back online, at least here in South Carolina. We have no idea what the world will be like when it emerges from its global quarantine, but it is slowly starting to happen. It remains to be seen how churches will respond. As my wife and I were driving around today, I saw one church advertising a drive-in service this coming Sunday. That's certainly more than we've been allowed since mid-March. Now, along with all of this, there are a whole bunch of related issues and questions. What will the economy be like? When will it bounce back? Or will it? And especially questions around what reopening should look like. How fast? How slow? Should we wear masks in public? Should we not? What should church services look like as we move to restart them? The one thing we can agree on is that there is certainly not agreement. Well, how then can brothers and sisters in Christ disagree in love? To answer that, let me first set up with a few obvious and maybe not so obvious points as we think through this. Disagreements and differences of opinion will happen. Both sides will argue from positions of deep conviction. And the deep conviction will also mean that both are deeply passionate, both about their position and why it's right in their mind, and passionate against the opposing view or opposing views as to why they are, in their mind, wrong. 
Hence, there are facts and supposed facts and emotions involved. Where Scripture is silent, both may be correct, or both may be wrong, or the truth is somewhere in between. Obviously, Scripture doesn't give precise answers about every single question, like what job to have, who to marry, what reopened church services should look like. We can't settle our differences, say, about the coronavirus by turning in our Bibles and reading Paul's guidance on it in COVID-19 verse 4. But when the Word of God doesn't give us specific advice, it absolutely gives us examples and guiding principles. So we're going to talk about some of those examples and principles today, and then we're going to try to come up together with this idea of, of answering this question, how do we disagree in love? So first off, let's think about probably the most famous disagreement in the New Testament, and that is Paul and Barnabas's disagreement about John Mark. I'll read it. It's from Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them into the work. You can see Acts 13.13 for that. The scripture continues, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, how did it resolve? Well, we don't have as clear a picture in the scriptures of their making amends as we do of their split. But, Paul would later go on to commend Barnabas's ministry in 1 Corinthians 9.6, as well as commend the matured Mark. In fact, he does that in Colossians 4.10, Philemon 23, and 2 Timothy. In fact, I found a, a very good blog post that summarizes this, which I'll share in the show notes. So what are some other examples of differences of opinion? Well, here are a few more. In Romans 14, of course, there's this whole discussion of matters of conscience, especially verses 13 and then 19 and 20. And I won't go into it, but you, you can read it there. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul gives us some more guidance on this. And let me just say, leading up to verses 3 and 4 in particular, twice in the preceding verses, Paul sets love as the context for 3 and 4. And 3 and 4 read, In humility count others more significant than yourselves. So that's one thing. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And then in verse 5, he goes on to say, Have the mind of a servant like Jesus did when, and then of course he goes into that famous passage about how Jesus emptied himself We'll come back to these ideas of love and servanthood. In Philippians 4, chapter 2, Paul urges Euodia and Syntyche to put aside their differences. 
he urges them to, quote-unquote, agree in the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 5.15, Paul says, Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Okay, so we're starting to see something take shape here, aren't we? We see understanding, we see love, we see being a servant to the other person, and doing good to them. Ken Sandy, in his popular book on peacemaking, The Peacemaker, he gives us other principles that we should keep in mind, and I really like these. Conflict, he discusses, is primarily an opportunity to glorify God by trusting Him and doing good to others. So there's a question, right? How can we glorify God by our actions, our behaviors, in a disagreement with someone? It's also an opportunity to get the log out of our own eye and then to go and show your brother his fault, again, in this case, if necessary, and then to go and be reconciled, if possible. Not all differences of opinion lead to all-out conflict, but these are still good principles to keep in mind. A few points of application as we think about what those would look like. First, you're responsible for your actions and your love towards the other person. You can't control how they'll act or react, nor are you responsible for how they choose to. Jesus commands you to be the humble servant, acting in love in the situation. In other words, it's your job to love and to serve. You may need to simply agree to disagree. In fact, to be perfectly blunt about it, you may need to keep your mouth shut. That just may be what it comes down to. Another thing is pray about it. Ask God to change them or change you or at least help you obey and honor his commands. When I presented this material to our small group at church this week, and like many of you, we met by Zoom, they shared a few thoughts as well that I wrote down. One said, be careful about the medium for talking about differences of opinion, like this whole coronavirus thing. Is Facebook really the most loving way to have a conversation? Probably not. Are we talking in a way that is gracious? I was reminded of Proverbs 16.21, which teaches us, Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So how are we having this conversation? Are we saying it in a way that's gracious? A third point someone brought up was wait. Frankly, it may not be worth it to get into an argument or a discussion about it. A fourth thing they said was ask a friend. Hey, here's what's going on. Should I say something? And there again, you can not mention other names. Uh, there's a way to do it so that you're not gossiping. You know, that's, that's a good idea. If you're not sure, check with someone. Fifthly, pull back from the temporal. In other words, keep the eternal things in the forefront. It may not be worth it to argue some temporal matter like the coronavirus or politics and break fellowship with that person if because it might end up happening that way, when frankly, there are more important eternal matters to engage in together. In other words, keep the main things the main thing. Ultimately, as we think about how we are to disagree in love, it comes down to one word. And I mentioned it earlier. L-O-V-E. Love. Love must come first. Jesus said, love one another. 
In fact, John records it four times in his gospel. And the same idea is repeated again all over the New Testament. In Romans, in Ephesians, in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Peter, in 1 John, 2 John. We are to love one another. What if we disagree on a matter, though, so badly that we find it hard to love the other person as a brother in Christ? Well, what else does the Lord Jesus say? We're still called to love our enemy, Matthew 5.44. So if you can't love them as a brother or sister in Christ over this disagreement, number one, that's a problem that you need to take before the Lord because that's a heart issue in your heart. But secondly, then you're still supposed to love them as an enemy. So either way, the obligation on you, on me, is love. So really, about these matters of conscience issues, we can disagree, but we are obligated to do it in love. By the way, how is this pandemic going to pan out? We all have ideas and opinions, but none of us really know. None of those opinions really even matter. How will it pan out? Exactly how God has already sovereignly decreed that it will. Not one person will die from coronavirus who was not ordained to do so when God sovereignly ordained their life in eternity past, how long their life was to be and how it was to end. That's all under the sovereignty of God. Not one person will lose their job or has lost their job or has retained their job or will find another job apart from the exact plan of the all-wise, all-sovereign, all-good God. Whatever God's plan for the United States or China or Uganda or Haiti, every nation on earth, it will happen apart from our ideas of how we think things should look. The Bible says God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. And the same is true here in the U.S. for our local governments, our state governments. No governor has complete control. No county commission or, or whatever, no mayor has complete control. All governments, all leaders are under the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. As far as coronavirus is concerned, is it even worth it to discuss our differences? Maybe so, if we're talking about when and how to reopen our churches, and we have to have those discussions, and we're not going to agree, so we may need to engage in these kinds of discussions. But then again, maybe not. Because maybe it's a conversation best left wisely to others to weigh in on. Maybe ultimately it's a discussion that our leaders, our elders, and, and the deacons, and you know, they have. But if we do weigh in, is it possible to disagree in love about matters of conscience like all the facets of coronavirus? If we submit ourselves to the Word of God and follow what God says, we certainly can. Wouldn't you agree? Well, that's our show for today. I hope you'll join us next time as we spend time in God's Word looking at how we can grow in our knowledge of Him, our love for Him, and our service to Him. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, visit us at graceandpeaceradio.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash graceandpeaceradio. Until next time, I'm your host, Anthony Russo, and Jesus changed my life.